Hello there. Welcome back to MLEX's podcast covering the top stories in regulatory affairs. My name is James Paniki. I'm a senior editor here at MLEX, and it's great to be with you again. And we're hitting your feed early in the week for a wrap of the extraordinary conviction of Joseph Sullivan. He is Uber's former security chief who had been charged with obstructing a US Federal Trade Commission investigation into a 2016 data breach. It has been a riveting case, which has less to do with the data breach itself than it does with Sullivan's response to it. The trial in California has also highlighted an interesting ethical dilemma about whether companies should negotiate with hackers, how transparent that process should be, and also the role of non-disclosure agreements in all of this. The guilty verdict also appears to mark the first time that a company executive has been criminally prosecuted for charges relating to a data breach, something that has sent shockwaves through the tech industry, not surprisingly. To cover the case, MLEX has relied on data privacy and security reporter Jen Bryce, senior data privacy and security correspondent Amy Miller, and senior correspondent covering privacy and future mobility, Shu Wan. All three reporters join me now from San Francisco. And Amy, let's start from the very beginning here. What was the DOJ's argument? Well, Joseph Sullivan's troubles began in November 2016 uh, when Uber suffered a data breach that compromised personal information of more than 57 million users, including drivers and passengers. But Uber, specifically Sullivan, didn't disclose the breach until November 2017 when its current CEO took over and fired Sullivan for not telling him about the breach. So Uber ended up paying $148 million to settle with state AGs across the United States for violating uh, their state data breach disclosure laws. But Sullivan wasn't convicted over the delayed reporting. According to the DOJ, Sullivan covered up this breach by paying the hackers $100,000 through the company's bug bounty program. And as part of the deal, the DOJ claimed, Sullivan required the hackers to delete the stolen data and then sign a non-disclosure agreement about the incident. All of this, according to the DOJ, amounted to a failure to report a felony and what's called misprision of felony. And Sullivan did all this, the DOJ said, because he was embarrassed. Uh, He had testified to the FTC not too long before that the company had fixed its security issues related to a 2014 data breach, and this 2016 incident proved the issues weren't fixed, the DOJ said, and he wanted to hide that. And above and beyond his embarrassment, uh, Amy, what was Sullivan's defense? What arguments did his legal team put forward? Well, his defense argued that Sullivan and his security team had used Uber's bug bounty program to basically flush out the hackers to find out who they were and what data they had stolen. Uber had to pay this $100,000 that they were demanding or no hackers would ever work with Uber ever again, the defense argued, and the deal had to remain confidential. But there were many people at the company who knew about the breach, the defense argued, including Uber's communications team. So they said Sullivan was essentially a fall guy or or a scapegoat for the company's problems. Now, Jen, let's try to paint the scene here. The U.S. justice system allows us to talk openly about members of the jury. That's not the case in other jurisdictions, but we can hear. What do we need to know about the jury members? Yeah, thanks, James. So 12 jurors were selected from a pool of about 100 who were summoned. There were six women, six men, and these were teachers, a social security claims officer, a robotics engineer, a marketing manager, to name just a few of their professions. 
And do we know anything about who was excluded from the jury? It must have been more than simply people who had an opinion about Uber services because that would be the entire population, right? Yeah, so to vet the pool, the court asked questions like whether potential jurors thought large companies and their executives often commit and cover up illegal activity. They were also asked about their views of Uber as a company and about what they knew and how they felt about its former CEO, Travis Kalanick. Then during voir dire, defense also asked the pool whether any views about Uber and Kalanick would influence their judgment of Sullivan, which gave an interesting look at the lasting effects of Uber's reputation of unethical culture under Kalanick. Okay, so Shuan, let me bring you into the conversation here. How long did the jurors deliberate? Um, the jury went into deliberation on Friday afternoon after the closing arguments, which lasted um, more than five hours, I think. And then the next Monday, Tuesday, they were quiet and they had a few questions on Wednesday morning and then, then they reached a verdict uh, in, in the afternoon. All right, so it suggests that uh, there was some uh, soul-searching, some deliberation that took place. What was the evidence that the jury was considering and what evidence did the jurors find most compelling? During the trial, there was a large amount of documentation as evidence, such as uh, Uber's internal talk documents. These include uh, internal emails between Uber employees and between Uber employees and the hacker. And there is a very important piece of evidence that both sides uh, relied heavily upon called Preacher Tracker document. That was a document created by the security team at Uber to track their response of this whole incident. Um, they would write up questions and how to uh, proceed as the next step in the whole process. There is also a Google document relating to the draft of a non-disclosure agreement that uh, Uber made the hackers sign eventually. Uh, there were mo- multiple uh, drafts shown to the, the, the jury. And also they were shown uh, documents in relation to the FTC proceedings. There was a FTC investi- investigation going on and there were documents related to uh, a proposed earlier settlement Uh, about 2014 data breach, and then documents related to uh, the 2016 data breach incident. According to the jurors that we talked to after the verdict was out, they think the volume of documentation really helped them uh, in reaching uh, a verdict. Particularly, they think the non-disclosure agreement was, uh, quote, awesome, because that was super well documented, uh, easy to read, and there were multiple copies, and they told the jurors who logged into the document and make changes. And Shuan, were there any star witnesses? Was there any sort of moment in which uh, you thought, observing all of this, that, ah, this is the the key moment that's going to uh, turn this all around? Um, So there was a lawyer, internal Uber lawyer, whose name was Craig Clark, who was at the time on Uber's security team. And the defense has been uh, telling the jurors that this guy was um, the start witness of the prosecution uh, because he got a deal uh, with the government, so they won't go after him. But according to the jurors, um, there's no start witness in this trial. They said um, witnesses from both sides have provided valuable information for him. Nobody really uh, stood out in the whole process. 
Now, finally, Amy, this is clearly a big deal for the cybersecurity industry. Someone has been held personally accountable, not necessarily for the breach, but for the uh, for the reporting of it. So what has the response of the industry been so far? I think a lot of the industry executives have been stunned. Um, you can see that all over social media sites like LinkedIn that are normally very staid uh, and kind of boring. And there are all these posts about how uh, Sullivan had been scapegoated and it was an unfair verdict. I think people were not really expecting that. Um, but others have said that, uh, you know, he, he did something wrong. The jury found that he did something wrong and that this could actually spur some much needed changes in the industry. Um, It's going to force chief information security officers to start thinking very carefully about their reporting requirements, not blow them off, take them very seriously. And they're going to have to start thinking about their bounty programs if they have one. You know, how how legit is it? Are they following the right reporting requirements? And uh, these these kinds of lines of communication between security uh, officials and top executives and boards of directors, those are going to those are going to improve after all of this, um, because the DOJ has made clear that it expects companies that collect vast amounts of data to report any breaches. Um, but there's also some concern, lingering concern, because the verdict could also create a public perception that it's just not okay to pay hackers attempting to extort payments to keep their stolen data private. So it could make paying off ransomware ha- attackers, which is always problem and remains a problem, it, that could become increasingly problematic. Amy, Shuan and Jen, thank you so much for talking to me today and for following this uh, trial with uh, such attention. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. Thank you, James. Amy Miller, Shuan and Jen Bryce are all MLEX reporters covering data privacy and security from our San Francisco offices. They have written about the Uber conviction extensively, and indeed their analysis of the case is now available on the mellow side of the paywall, ready for you to read and enjoy. To do so, just go to our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Click on the News Hub tab for all of the latest news and analysis from our team of reporters ensconced in the corridors of regulatory power around the world. As for this humble podcast, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Rate us and leave a review where possible. It helps us to direct new listeners to the show. On Friday, our regular podcast will be uploaded with the assistance of the MLEX marketing team in London. We'll return to San Francisco for a chat with our reporter Mike Acton and his interview with the EU's new representative in Silicon Valley. That's coming up on Friday of this week. MLEX's podcast is produced and presented by me, James Paniki, and from all of the team here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again very soon. Bye for now. Bye.